Dear valued clients and friends, welcome to this week's Dividend Cafe podcast. Okay, I'm not going to talk about college football this week, although I am pretty excited that the season's upon us. We're going to talk markets, and I think this Labor Day weekend and the transition out of August into the final trimester of 2016 is a great time to do so. By a little whisker, the Dow and S&P were both um, negative in the month of August, uh, so it just barely missed being the sixth positive month uh, in a row uh, for both of the major market indices. In fact, they were both positive going into the last day of August, so we just saw that reverse at the very final hour. But let's cover a number of aspects that we think are extremely significant to the market this week. Never fear, the Fed is here. One of the most jarring parts of Fed Chairwoman Janet Yellen's speech in Jackson Hole, Wyoming last week was her action plan for dealing with the next recession laid out by herself. Her stated basic thesis implies that by the time the next recession comes, the Fed funds rate will be back to 3% and that $2 trillion of quantitative easing, presumably what we'd call it QE4, would do the trick to stave off that recession. The reality is that adding to the Fed balance sheet was never an American way of dealing with the recession until the aftermath of the Great Recession of 2008. And while QE has been effective at holding down long-term interest rates, it certainly has not been productive at creating job growth or economic productivity. It seems impossible to believe that the Fed will have gotten the Fed funds rate back to 3% before the next recession when a simple 0.25% increase, quarter point, seems to require the movement of heaven and earth. But the Fed's talk was more hawkish than many thought it would be last week. Just give it to me once, then repeat it again and again. While prognosticating on what the Federal Reserve will do or not do has been one of the easiest things to do in my career these last eight years, it is not really something we want to base our investment outlook or client allocations on. With that said, it bears repeating that our broad perspective on the Fed's pickle is this. They may or may not raise a quarter point here and a quarter point there, and we recognize that there are optics important to them that they not lose all credibility. However, global central bank monetary realities are so widely different from our own that anything the Fed does to increase hawkishness forces our policy to be even more divergent from the rest of the world. And this inevitably means huge impact on the dollar versus foreign currencies. And that essentially means de facto tightening of monetary policy. In other words, and maybe this should have been my only sentence here, Mario Draghi, the head of the European Central Bank and other such global bankers, they're keeping the Fed in a holding pattern and we cannot fathom anything changing that for quite some time. Profit as profit. The very understandable rule of thumb is that as earnings go, so goes the market. Declining profits are often a precursor, they prophesy, of a declining market. Well, since earnings growth has been declining, shouldn't that mean declining stock prices into the future? Quite possibly, yes, but there's one very legitimate reason to do more homework before we make a vanilla conclusion about this hyper-nuanced subject. That reason is the role energy played in the decline since 2014. 
Put differently, the declining profits in energy from mid-2014 through mid-2016 explain all of the S&P profit slowdown and then some. Therefore, if, and it's a big if, the energy earnings slowdown has run its course and is in fact due for a rebound, we may see the exact opposite consequence, meaning profit expansion. Reports of oil demise were greatly exaggerated. At this time last year, I was reading reports, hearing media pundits, and yes, even having clients suggest that the oil sector was permanently broken, that demand was collapsing, that fossil fuels were not part of our future, that the end was near. This week, a report came out showing $11 billion of oil and gas transactions, mergers and acquisitions, the highest monthly total this year. Over $30 billion of deals have happened since um, the month of May alone. A robust energy sector is alive and well in our country. Write this number down, $12.6 trillion. That is the dollar amount worldwide of bonds that currently have a negative yield. And people are buying them. People do want them. And understanding why, why would somebody want bonds that are charging them money to own it that will perhaps be the key to investing in the next two years as easy as predicting the weather in 2026 one of the things i have seen prove most dangerous undoable unreliable and unrepeatable is anyone's ability to forecast interest rates and i do not mean just the fed funds rate but the real rate like a 10-year treasury yield for example People get wrong what affects it, get wrong how the things that affect it will go, and then get wrong how rates will respond to the wrong reaction they didn't anticipate about the wrong events they wrongly labeled. Other than all that, it's a layup. So I guess my point is that A, the 10-year yield is going to determine so much of what happens in capital markets, and B, I haven't the foggiest idea what the 10-year will do. I'm waiting until you're done waiting. What would make us increase our allocations to stocks at this time? Well, I suppose a PE in the S&P of 16 and a VIX of 18 or higher would be nice. That, of course, would mean that many were rejecting equities, which would be a time that buying equities was most out of favor. Right now, we have a market multiple above 18 and a VIX around 13, meaning it feels good to be buying. We are moderating but not eliminating our equity weightings prudently, intelligently, and selectively. Not all valuation stories are created equal within stocks, of course. But we remind our clients and readers there's no better time to be buying than when it feels terrible to be buying, and vice versa. It's not what you see, it's what you don't see. We believe history will record this bull market and when it inevitably ends as a time that many signals became quite distorted versus historical readings. On one hand, we're totally of the opinion that bull markets end when the last dumb, euphoric, greedy dollar comes into the market. And we agree with many bulls that such tip-top euphoria has been absent. A decline of margin buying, by the way, is another more compelling argument for this that side lately that we haven't reached peak euphoria. However, the selling in stock mutual funds is distorted by the very unreliable, unreliable data about what has been bought in exchange-traded funds. 
So I think that retail skepticism and mutual funds should make us think this bull market is not toppy, but we really do not see the ETF action with enough transparency, enough reliability to totally read it all. Finally, there is a chart at DividendCafe.com this week I want to point you to uh, that reflects the real state of the unemployment picture. And it kind of illustrates the fact that there are 6 million people out of the labor force who do want a job um, that we do not count in the denominator anymore, which has enabled the unemployment rate to go down, even though the percentage of our population that's employed is still so dramatically lower than it was just six, seven, eight, or really more like eight, nine, ten years ago. So we, we think it's an interesting chart, and allude, it kind of tells you a story of a lot of the political angst in addition to a lot of the economic confusion. Finally, the quote of the week this week is from George Box, who said, All models are wrong, but some are useful. I think that quote's extremely important as I close here today. Uh, all eyes have moved back to the Fed in a polite bank of neoclassical economists, mostly neo-Keynesian, who seek to pull policy decisions out of the various models they use to view and interpret the economy. I'm in a camp of classical economists who've always believed that deriving economic beliefs and conclusions out of mere mathematical models is silly at best and dangerous at worst, as economics is a story of human action and not reducible to raw mathematical modeling. But even if I believed in economics by modeling, it stands to reason that what you get out of the model will only be as good as what you put in it. Fed models and Keynesian models and economist models have been wrong over and over again throughout history, constantly requiring tweaking, adjusting, recalibrating. Does this mean the models are useless and can be ignored? No, they are wrong and sometimes useful but a little humility may be the need of the hour in macroeconomics. I know it is always needed in our world, so to that end we work. Fight on Trojans and beat the tide. Thank you for listening to the Dividend Cafe podcast, and please feel free to subscribe. We look forward to coming back at you next week.